Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss not an issue this time, but in fact, an annual, a king-size annual, X-Men number six, cover price of a dollar, on sale July 27th of 1982, and it is titled Blood Feud. And baby, now we got Oh my god, Bill Sinkowitz is back for another Dracula episode. Now, Jeremy, we were corrected. It's Sinkevich. Oh, Sinkevich. My bad. <laughs> yes, uh, on the cover of this annual number six, we see Dracula in the background. We see Storm in the foreground holding Kitty Pride, who's who's got little fang marks in her neck. And what is that? That's the Star of David across her neck? Oh, yeah. Kind of on her shoulder there, yeah. Uh, and then kind of below all of them, you've got Colossus, Nightcrawler, Cyclops, and Wolverine. Like, they have been taken out. Looks like somebody tried to bite Wolverine in the, the face. It, it does look like that, doesn't it? So, yeah, it's a, it's red. It's a red cover. It's kind of a boring cover, in my opinion. I really like this cover, and I think it's because I just like this thick inking style. Mm. Where all the lines are just very thick and, and the, the outer lines stand out even more. And I've always been drawn to this mm. kind of art. I think that this would make a very good panel inside the book. But for some reason, it's just not quite doing it for me as a cover. I don't know why. This would make a cool t-shirt. Do mm. you think it would make a good t-shirt uh, with just Storm and Kitty or with everybody included? Well, initially I was thinking just Storm and Kitty, but then I was like, you know what? It would be a cool band t-shirt if everybody was like members of the band, like Dracula was the singer or something. Or I guess Storm would be the singer. Yeah, she'd have to be. So let me let me ask you this. So let's just say you have a band and you decide to co-op this image. Do you just use this image or do you put all your faces, the band members, on the people that are all around? I'm not handy with Photoshop. <laughs> all right. So you, just, you don't even deal with it. Yeah. No, I, fear. I, I would have to find band members that looked like all of these people and we would all have to wear costumes that matched all of these i guess i would probably be dracula oh okay <laughs> or cyclops he's kind of nondescript yeah he's just kind of in the background there i think i feel like if you're dracula like you have to play you have to have a lot of stage charisma <laughs> He's a bass player. Exactly. Like Cyclops, he's just, he's like, he's the guy that plays the tambourine and. <laughs> he plays guitar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's just in the back. He doesn't have a mic. He's just in the background. He bobs his head up and down. That's about it. Uh, Colossus is definitely on drums. Mm-hmm. Nightcrawler to me seems more like a band manager and not really <laughs> necessarily a band member. Really? You can't, you can't see him whipping out an electric guitar? Mm-hmm. No, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. Um, I guess I have to disagree with you. I think Wolverine is your bass player, and I think Dracula is your lead guitar player. Yeah, I, I was thinking that too, <laughs> but I don't see Wolverine as a bass player. I mean, really? I, I don't, I don't know what Wolverine is. I think Wolverine plays the flute. <laughs> the flautist, <laughs> rock and roll flautist, Wolverine. 
Yeah, right. And uh, yeah, and and Kenny just runs around phasing through everybody. <laughs> <laughs> She's just the band dancer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's a it's an annual. So let's open this thing up. Um, oh, you know what? Before we get into this, Adam, I just I don't think we paid enough attention last episode to the fact that Professor Xavier, who walked but then fell, is a clone. Well, it hasn't really been. I mean, did they did they actually say that yet? Yeah, they said that they cloned his body, and because they cloned his body, he's, you know, now it's just psychosomatic. The fact that he can't walk, but everything is there. That is yeah, what Sikorsky and Doctor Moira McTaggart said: is that we are going to take clones of him from previous bio scans from his previous visits or whatever. I guess you're right. The issue kind of makes it sort of nonchalant, so you don't even really notice if you're not paying attention that's why i wanted to bring emphasis to it now is the fact that all of these episodes that we've been doing have been with one professor xavier and from this point forward although he's not in this issue but from this point forward anytime we see the professor it is not the same professor xavier that we were talking about before well we've been through this sort of thing before (laughs) i mean there was a period where the professor wasn't actually the professor at all but in fact he was a mutant shapeshifter yeah, but at this point, they're saying that, like, it's the same professor's soul and mind, but it's a completely different physical body. But that coupled with the fact that I I don't think Storm is the same body that we had previous to a couple of issues before, because wasn't she reformed in the mouth of the, the big flying fish thing? Yes, and actually, as I was reading this issue, I thought of that. I did, too. It- it made me question some of the things. Well, and we'll get into it. I guess we're on the same page there. But I just, I guess I just wanted to redraw focus. Like maybe we, we started a chart of um, X-Men original bodies, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I think we can say that Storm and Professor are not the original Storm and Professor, but all the other X-Men are the original X-Men. Yes. Okay. All right. So uh, tally up your scorecards, everybody. And, Although uh, every doesn't everybody shed their and they like they have an entirely new body every seven years or something isn't that a biology fact? Uh, I think it's just a rule of the Marvel universe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even think that's a real life. Like we are constantly like getting new skin, and, and I guess by the end of seven years in a seven year cycle, every human being has an entirely new body. Well, I mean, I could I guess I could see like. I see what you're saying, like we shed so much skin and it flakes off and it regrows and whatnot, but I mean, like, our bones don't change. No. <laughs> so so structurally, the insides of us, our heart, I don't think changes, it grows, but I don't think it sheds. So from an outward exterior perspective, you're probably absolutely right. After seven years, we probably have a new exterior, but internally we're the same. My point is that the Professor and Storm are completely different entities. Just, just with the same mind. Actually, does that mean that like they have the technology to take anybody who dies and just drop them into a clone? Well, you would think now that with this technology, if I'm the professor, the X Men, or Moira, I'm like, why don't you just take DNA samples of all of these fools? <laughs> <laughs> because then now it doesn't matter. Well, how does that work as far as the mind goes? Like, does the professor remember turning into a brood? What is his last memory? That's a really good question, and I think it's a question that never gets answered. Yeah, it would be it would it would be too much of a sidetrack, as we have shown. <laughs> what? Oh, annual number six here. <clears throat> well, let's let's start this thing off here. Uh, we open up our story at Bard College. 
Yes. Have you ever been to Bard? No. Have you? Uh, no. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Really? I, I know I had a friend who went to Bard, so I may have visited. Okay. Well, uh, Bard College is where Rachel Van Halsing, the world-renowned anthropologist. Didn't Drew go to Bard? That I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> anyway. <whatever>. Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but but uh, Rachel Van Helsing, who's an anthropologist. Oh, we know that last name, Van Helsing. Uh, yes. That was uh, Hugh Jackman played him. I didn't actually see that movie. I didn't either. Oh, well. I'll save you. You don't have a lot to say about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can guess that he's probably a vampire hunter. Uh, Yeah. And I can probably guess that Rachel Van Helsing is the daughter of a vampire hunter. Rachel Van Helsing is the daughter of Hugh Jackman. And Hugh Jackman plays Wolverine. And I'm so confused right now. (laughs) Mind blown. Well, anyways, she is uh, a professor at Bard College. And her students are like, hey... You have a funny last name that I recognize. Are you her? Is there any connection between you and that stuff Bram Stoker wrote about? And she's like, no, Dracula was fiction. Ha ha ha. Class dismissed. What a jerk, Phil. How could you ask anything so dumb? So all the students leave and Rachel Van Helsing's like, well, even though it was a storybook fiction, it was based on some type of reality. I guess the main characters were real. Right. Uh, but I guess Bram Stoker summarized the events for the book or something. But anyways, the task is now ended. The Lord of Vampires is dead and finally Rachel is free. So I've got nothing to worry. What? Good evening, Rachel. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Enter freely and of your own will. I thought it was reversed, wasn't it? Or is that just a play on the fact that you have to invite the vampire in? Or is that even a thing? Maybe that's just from the Lost Boys. <laughs> well, no, I think it's a, it's it's definitely a thing. I just got a little bit of confused by this because it's basically, to me, it looks like Dracula is inviting Rachel Van Helsing into Rachel Van Helsing's house. Right. When we know from vampire lore, it has to be the opposite, right? So I... They made a big deal out of it, so I figured it meant something, but it never really gets explained. It's got to be a play on that somehow. Right. This is when we get our credits. The comic book is written by Chris Claremont, Bill... Sinkovich. Sinkovich is the penciler. Bob Sinkovich. Sinkovich. Bob Wiasek is the inker. Tom Orzachowski, which I think we're pronouncing wrong. Orzakowski? Oh, yeah, yeah. could be. Tom Orzakowski is the letterer. Glennis Ween is the colorist. And Luis Jones is the editor. Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. I believe that's Jim Shooter. Oh, Shooter. (laughs) And I think the Jim is actually pronounced with an H. I think it's him. Yes, yes. Him Shooter. Shooter. (laughs) Yes. So Dracula, he's like, hey, I'm Boo. I'm back. (laughs) You look so surprised. Uh, uh, uh. Did you think that I truly suffered the final death? No, like the professor and Storm, I have returned. <laughs> yes, I have a new body. Uh, 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 uh. My Dracuclone. <laughs> uh, I, too, was taken over by a brood and cloned on a Starjammer spaceship. Uh, 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 uh. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's like a weird double-pane panel here that's going on here where... You've got Rachel and Dracula on the one side with some surprise. And then if you flip over to the next half of the page, the other side, it's the X-Men coming home. And Kitty is like, I'm mad. It's not fair. 
She has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven arms. She is almost uh, the god of Vishnu. This is a confusing panel because, like, Nightcrawler, she's walking through Nightcrawler, which, but Nightcrawler seems very short. Well, yeah. He's crouching, but it's also like he is slightly lower than she is. It's like Nightcrawler is on a uh, a different floor than everybody else is. Well, it's His kinda, feet are lower than anybody else's. It's kind of like Bill Sinkovich meant to draw him further in the background, but then decided it would be a nice touch if Kitty phased through him. So it's a very odd perspective. I mean, if if Nightcrawler were to stand up, he'd be about three and a half feet tall. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Well, Kitty's all upset because her selfish parents have announced that they are going to get a divorce. Oh, no. And she's like, they promised they'd stay together. It's probably my fault and I'm mad. (laughs) Actually, I mean. Cyclops Cyclops comes in. Hey, people. Good Lord. (laughs) What's going on? Emotions. I'm out of here. I mean, honestly, we make fun. It's it's a heavy topic, right? And it's probably something in 1982 is when this book was released that some 13, 14, 15-year-old kids were starting to deal with more so than kids in the late to early or mid-70s is this topic of divorce. So Kitty is kind of that vehicle into that world. And, and so now, I mean, up until this point, Kitty's kind of been like this perfect character where she's super smart, she's attractive, she's got superpowers, uh... She's fighting crime, and so, like, there's no flaws within her character. And now, boom, hit with the bombshell. Parents getting divorced, and she is not having a good time of it. No. Aurora tries to console her, but uh, like you said, she is, she's, uh, she's not having it. She twists her words and says, why are you taking their side? I thought you were my friend. And I really like the bottom panel, how it's just an extreme close-up of the panel above it. That's is re- it's a really neat effect. Is it even redrawn or is it just a blow up of what is existing above? I suspect that it is a blow up it's, and then it was probably redrawn over like a projection or something like sure. that. Sure. Yeah, I, no, I, 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 I don't know it. how things work. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-photoshop here, folks. Pre-photoshop. Yeah, but I mean it's super heavy inked and some very harsh thick lines. I mean, we can definitely tell that there's some pain and angst going on in Kitty. It's a good panel. If I mattered to them, really mattered, wouldn't they have the decency to tell me in the person? So apparently they made a phone call to be like, hey, we're getting divorced. <laughs> uh, Kitty, your mom and I don't love each other. So deal with uh, that. Let me, let me talk. Uh, do you want to talk to your mom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she runs upstairs. She doesn't want anything to do with the X-Men right now. She just wants to be alone, and I get that, right? So she runs up the stairs, and she sees the picture of her mom and dad uh, on her nightstand looking all happy together, and she just looks at that as if it's just, you know, it's making fun of her. It's mocking her, and she's like, you were happy. I was happy. And then she just destroys that picture. Kitty smash. (laughs) And then in a fiery yellow and red panels she's like i hate you both i hate you it's a powerful panel yeah it's it's very nice i it's not really well drawn it's better than i can draw it's better than i can draw too but i really love the effect of the the i don't know what what you call that red um watermark behind her i mean just all over the place 
that's going on. But yeah, yeah, it's like it's like the black inking is doubled but colored. Yeah, so it's it's uh, definitely conveying a lot of emotion. Yeah. <clears throat> so she slinks into her bed, and she she now she's whispering kind of into her pillow, "I hate you." And she sort of passes out, I guess, uh, or, or or maybe she's just like getting tired or something. But we see a mysterious shadow. Uh, uh, the panels are splayed throughout the room by the setting sun. One moves, draws close to Kitty, then disappears. Yep. Apparently, Kitty is a Rolling Stones fan based on the poster that's on her wall. You know, remember these posters because in the next issue... <laughs> All righty. <clears throat> yeah, so something happens, but we don't know what it is. Later on, it says, the caption says midnight, but the way the panel is colored, it looks like it's the middle of the afternoon. Yeah, the coloring hasn't changed. <laughs> no, you would expect that if it's midnight, you'd see a lot of gray tones, but it's bright yellow and green. And I guess the mansion has really good lighting. Ah, sure, floodlights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She wakes up and she's like, man, I've been, I've been sleeping for a while. So, I mean, I get this, right? I mean, haven't you ever been so upset in your life that it just, everything's crashing around you and you just, bah, the only thing I can do is just go to sleep. Then you wake up and you're like, all right, I'm a little bit better now. This is kind of what I'm getting from this next couple of panels. Every day, every day. <laughs> yeah. You and me both, buddy. You and me both. <laughs> So she kind of makes fun of herself a little bit, calling herself Miss Crybaby 1982. And she feels a little bit bad for the way she treated Aurora. And she sees the picture and she's like, oh, man, I smashed this picture. I should probably put this thing back together. Luckily, only the frame is broken. The picture is okay. She hears from behind her somebody say, kitten. Aurora, hey, great timing. I was just thinking of you. And that's when Aurora, I think, casts a spell to draw Kitty toward her. Or Kitty jumps into her arms for a hug. I can't tell which. Uh, maybe a combination of wind power. Okay, sure. So she goes flying up into uh, Storm's arms. Storm is definitely altered. She's not our Storm. Uh, I'm going to say it's definitely not Kitty jumping because her, her leg... It's like weird. It's like way off to the side and stuff. Yeah. I feel like she's being drawn towards Storm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So she says, look out, will ya? What are you doing? And that's when Storm reveals her fangs. And she clomps down on Kitty's neck. Nom, 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 nom. Tosses her aside like a rag doll. Yes. It's actually spelt out there. N-U-M, 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 N-U-M. It's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they put a lot of effort into that lettering there. But So they toss her aside, and apparently uh, Kitty falls uh, atop of her teddy bear and her very distraught-looking jack-in-the-box. <laughs> Sad jack-in-the-box. <laughs> yeah. What song do you think that jack-in-the-box plays before it pops up? Aren't they all the same? Well, you would think so, but, I mean, most of the time those jacks in the box look happy. This guy does not look happy. Um, I don't know. What's, <laughs> what's, what's a good sad song? Uh, I don't know. I was hoping you would have something at the ready, Adam. No, I'm <laughs> terrible at that sort of thing. Damn it. <clears throat> All right, forget we said that. Next, moving on. Uh, Storm heads towards 
basically the rest of the X-Men. And I really, this is just another kind of a cool effect is that it's eight total panels on this page, but the left panel is kind of a smaller square panel. It's the same image repeated four times, but the background color is different in each panel. And then the panel on the right side is a more long uh, rectangle, and it basically shows the aftermath of Storm biting all of the X-Men. She sucks all their blood. One X-Men. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Two, Two X-Men. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah, so Colossus, Wolverine, Cyclops, and Nightcrawler. She feasts. I have one problem with this page, okay. and that's that the coloring of the Cyclops panel, uh, the one to the left of the Cyclops panel, should be red because of Cyclops' deadly eyes. Well, I have another problem. Uh, this panel infers that Cyclops sleeps without any sort of eye protection. <laughs> and that just seems like a huge mistake. I mean, you know, they've never really addressed that in X-Men comic books. The fact that, I mean, I have seen some panels of Cyclops sleeping. And generally when they show him sleeping, not in this panel, but other panels, they'll show him sleeping with his glasses on, which is all well and good. But I mean, it, say you're, it's a, excessively restless evening and your glasses go flying off. I think that he should have to sleep with like a ruby quartz like night mask. Or ruby quartz contacts? Well, something. But but that's never really been a thing as far as I know. He's, he's, he's a very deep sleeper. <laughs> well, at any rate. Uh, so she, she heads up Storm now. She heads up to her attic with her plants. And then she bites them one by one. And she's like, there's no blood here. She turns them all into little vampire plants. <laughs> they try to transform into bats, but they've got roots at them. They can't fly. It's sad. It's very sad. <laughs> and then so she gets so upset that she turns into a bat and she flies away. And that part I'm not kidding about. She turns into a bat. Yeah, she does. And, and she flies away. And she flies over to... I guess she knows that Dracula is waiting for her on a cliff and uh, she stops, transforms back into a now naked storm and makes out with Dracula. I have a problem with this. And the problem that I have is that earlier in the book, when this whole sequence began, it said midnight. But as we look through these panels, it looks like it is dead afternoon. Well, that's the moon, right? Yeah, but... If the moon is up, is it a beautiful blue sky with elegant, luscious green grass? Well, the grass isn't any less green when it's nighttime. Oh, but Adam, <laughs> Adam, it is 9.35 in your time zone right now. If you go outside and you look at your grass, is it yeah, going to... it's not. It's, this is a full moon. <laughs> is it going to... Even at a full moon, is it going to look luscious green or is it going to be kind of a... Maybe in a full moon, it would be like a dull greenish gray, but it's not going to be like afternoon green grass. My point, Adam, is that these are all colored to look like it's mid-afternoon. And if it's mid-afternoon, these two fools are burning up. <laughs> I, I think they're trying to go, they're trying to evoke moonlight here. But, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It's probably and they could have totally job. They could have totally done that if they would have just colored this thing right. <laughs> Anyways, um, no, but she, Storm, it, it's all a dream. Doesn't matter. Storm wakes up. She's in, like, a hammock, and she's sleeping naked, apparently. And she's like, no, goddess, no, I have no clothes on. You say that like you're surprised. <laughs> yeah, I Storm don't. does 80% of things naked. <laughs> Look, I, 
Sleeping naked? Fine, I get. But, I mean, generally you'd have, like, some covers and you'd be on a bed, but she's in a hammock, for God's sakes. It's very hot out. Is it, is that a hammock? No, it's not, because she, well, she stands up and she's got some sort of robe. I don't know, she's sleeping in her robe? The way this panel is drawn, it looks like she's sleeping in a hammock. It, it does. Okay. <laughs> At least we agree on that. Maybe she's supposed to be sleeping in a bed. At any rate, she's like, oh, my God, I'm human. It was a dream. I better go check on Kitty. Whew, there she is. She's fine. I better tuck her in. Whoa. <laughs> My scream woke no one. Is that an omen? But it did wake someone because Kitty's eyes are open. Yes. And we don't know if that's because of the shadow that passed by her earlier or if she's still just mad at her parents for getting divorced. So we have no idea what's up, what's up with that shadow yet. Yes. So Storm rationalizes that that wasn't a dream, but she has been summoned by Dracula. And so she decides that she will obey the summon. So she flies off. Yeah, she doesn't like that he's threatening the lives of the X-Men. Evidently, when he pledged to release Vampiric Hold on me, he lied. He will regret that. So I have to imagine that this is probably where you have a problem it's where i have a problem anyways not yet okay well i'll save it <laughs> i mean you know a pledge is uh it's a mind kind of based thing okay there you don't think it's like a physical hold no no i think it's 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 purely a it's all in her brain okay all right it's like a hypnotic suggestion sort of thing so Kitty, she gets up out of bed and she takes a look out. Now it now it looks dark. Now the grass is not green. It's kind of a dark green. The the the, the sky is colored a dark blue. And there's definitely like a moon out there. Aha! Well, Jeremy, that was a dream sequence. <laughs> uh, is that why it could be light out? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. In the midnight moonlight, it was daytime Got in it. the dream. So Kitty looks out at the moon. She sees Storm flying away, and she's like, she knows. She's like, she answers the call. At last, the final game is afoot. I cannot act alone. So right now, we have to be aware that this Kitty is acting a little weird. Yeah, she's uh, not speaking in a way that we are familiar with Kitty speaking in. And um, is it still midnight? Because what is Colossus doing working on his thesis? Well, Adam, he says right here, a history thesis for Professor Xavier. It's due next week upon his return from your island. Yeah, but why is he working on it at midnight? He's got a week. <laughs> he is not a good studier. <laughs> I am not good at pictures. I am not good at <laughs> letters. I am not good at studying. I am not good at time, apparently. <laughs> I'm not good at time. Uh, and so he's like, this is fascinating. It's it's totally different from what we learned in Russia. Blah, blah, blah. You Americans are crazy. <laughs> and so Kitty is like, hmm, how about we get fresh? <laughs> what? This is not funny. Yeah, but she's like, look into my eyes. What happened today is unimportant. She slams the door. Kitty, no. Please. All that matters is tonight. Arg. So is that arg like consummation has occurred or did Kitty do something to him? Kitty did something to him. Okay. I like that version better than the consummation version because that's gross. 
She's 14. He's 19. No, they, they uh, as we learn in Astonishing X-Men, they never consummate. Ah, well, good. Good on them. Um, What do you think the click is? The what? Oh, uh, the click. Um, Well, that's probably the door locking. So it slams and then clicks? I guess. Or she, she, she cocks a gun. <laughs> or she grabs a pen. <laughs> Let me take some notes here. Let me finish your paper. <laughs> oh, this is all wrong. Oh, my. You haven't read a thing, have you? You are terrible with words. Washington did not free the slaves. <laughs> Man. Anyways, roughly 3,000 miles away, Storm is flying to a castle. Is it Castle Von Doom in Latveria? No. Why is she always flying to castles? <laughs> it's Castle Von Dracula on the ocean or something. She blasts down the door and she walks in and she sees some candles and she's like, Dracula, I'm here. Show yourself. But it's not Dracula who's waiting for her. It's Rachel Van Helsing. Why, hello. <laughs> so I'm, I guess, yeah, we saw this at the beginning of the book. Rachel Van Helsing has been, I guess, turned into a vampire by Dracula. Oh, no. And they've prepared a feast for Storm. I am weary, and that food looks delicious. But I'll show no weakness before the Lord of Evil or his lady. <laughs> and I love this panel of Dracula. He's like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my place. How's it going, baby? <laughs> uh, and apparently he is able to read some of her mind. Because uh, they shared blood or something. Yes, we have shared blood. You are mine. But now this is where I start drawing the line. Okay. Yeah, they shared they shared blood, but he didn't share blood with this body. I agree. So if her body fully was regenerated in the mouth of that giant fish starship, any sort of controls or physical holds anybody would have had over her should be null and void. Well, you know, I, w I wouldn't go so far as to say anything because there's always like weird cosmic things in the Marvel universe that make no sense. Yeah, but none of that's happened to Storm yet. No. <laughs> so, okay. So we can, I think we can agree that what's happened in space should have voided Dracula's hold on her. Well, I'm okay with the mental hold. I just don't like, like some of the stuff that's coming up. Okay. So, uh... They have like a little mind battle here, but then Storm falters. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on here. Neither am I. <laughs> but uh, she reaches up to her neck and she feels blood. So it's as if Dracula has bit her again without actually biting her. He bit her with mind teeth. <laughs> yes. Ah, your fate was sealed the instant I tasted your blood. True, I left you. To live out your days in peace, knowing that you would rise from the grave to join me as one of the undead. But I did not suspect that you would die in space and get attacked by the brood. So, now I have to hit you with my mind teeth. <laughs> okay, back under my power. <laughs> and so he flies off and commands Rachel to feed her. So, I guess she's not quite a vampire yet because she can eat food. Yes. So she does, she sits down, and at the very least, she has what looks like a glass of wine. 
Yeah, I mean, she's not she's not a vampire, which is good. Yeah, because making Storm a vampire, I don't know. I guess I guess they eventually make Jubilee a vampire. Uh, isn't there like a whole X Men miniseries about vampires? Pretty sure there is. Yeah, not 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 for a while though. No, not for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Dracula, let's see, Dracula does not fly back. Rachel Van Helsing turns into a bat. Yeah, this confused me. Yes. But I guess it was because uh, Rachel is a blue bat, whereas Dracula, but then Dracula just appeared. Oh, it's very confusing. <laughs> it is. all. I'm not really sure who's doing what here, but it storms at the dinner table and she's eating and she's like, um, I hope I don't turn into a vampire. Oh, no, the blue bat. Is Dracula. Okay. Because Dracula's speaking and he's telling her what's going on. He says he's eternal. His foes are not eternal. So, but it's, it's, yeah, it's weird. He flies out the window and then comes back. So it turns out that the plot of this whole thing is that Dracula would like Storm to steal a book which contains a mystic spell for the obliteration of vampires. Yes. And I believe this book is, is a big Marvel deal. Oh, really? Yeah, I think this book has probably appeared before, and I know it appears later. I know a lot of the stuff that happens in this issue. Um, I don't know if it relates directly, but a lot of the same stuff appears in Ghost Rider. And whether or not that was on purpose or not, who knows? How about the town of Pendero? Does that show up again? That sounds really familiar, but that's probably just because of, like, Pendragon. Mm, Okay. Well, so she changes into her stealthy outfit, and she's like... Where does she get a stealthy outfit? <laughs> well, Dracula's got one for her. No, I mean, I made you a stealth outfit so you can look like a spy. Uh, uh, uh. Well, you don't share blood and not know the other person's uh, measurements, Adam. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. I guess so. So she's like, well, I don't understand. You're a vampire. You can turn into a bat. Like, why don't you just go get this stupid book? And she's like, and Dracula's like, well, there's a spell that keeps Dracula's out. You go. <laughs> um, why didn't he have Rachel do it? I guess. That's a good question, Adam. I, I don't know this answer. Because Rachel, Rachel just would refuse to do it. So his only option was to turn her into a vampire. I, I don't know. God, yeah, I guess so. Because Rachel is the one who buried the book or put the book in this castle and put the spells on it. So Storm is like, fine, whatever. <laughs> so she jumps into the house and she is looking now for this book. But then we see that she is being stalked by somebody with a crossbow. Cool. Yeah. And whoever it is that has a crossbow eventually shoots Storm in the back do you think it's daryl from walking dead i sure hope so because that would be awesome hey what's up (laughs) i'm daryl i sure hope everybody doesn't die (laughs) turn into vampires but i'm pretty good with a with a crossbow i got my motorcycle (laughs) so storm she's hit in the back she falls off a balcony and she realizes that she has triggered the castle's alarms and we find out that the crossbow stalker was Kitty. I'm sorry, Storm. You you serve him now. I can't afford to let you live. Woof. She means it. She was trying to kill me. Has the child gone mad? And she blows Kitty away with a gust of wind. And that's when 
Kool-Aid Colossus comes in and says, oh, yeah. No, he doesn't say it. He says, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am Colossus. Katya. If you have harmed her, wind witch, I will tear you limb from limb. Colossus. Er. Colossus, <laughs> not you too. <laughs> uh, what's happening here? Why are you doing this? Kitty commands it. Blah, blah, blah. So Colossus fights Storm a little bit. They have a little back and forth until Storm freezes the atmospheric water around Colossus, freezing him into a block of ice. Iceman style. Oh, yeah. We haven't seen this in a long time. And frankly, I missed it. <laughs> Colossus is dead. Uh, why in the next panel, like, Storm sticks her butt out and she's, like, posing near the ice and... You know, like, hey, Katie. Well, she's like, I want to give Frozen Colossus a show. Is this like a, it's like maybe an action pose? Is that what it's supposed to be? I don't really know what's going on here, to be honest. It's strange. It is. So she sees Katie up uh, on a balcony or something, and so she is a little bit surprised. And it turns out that Katie has the Montasi formula. Before this night is done, Dracula, beloved sire, you will be dust. And then she threatens Storm. She says, this is a private quarrel. You stay out of it. And that's when Storm is like, hang on a second. You're not Kitty. I like she says, you wear her shape, but you are not her. That's, that's good on you, Chris Claremont. Yeah. Kitty Kitty looks mean. She does. She looks messed up. After all, uh, um, how do you know? <laughs> After all, you ran right into Dracula's arms without a hesitation. So there's that. And then uh, that's when the guards show up, and we never see these guys again. <laughs> yeah. And they're shooting guns. Hold it! No! She crashes out the window, and they're done. She, Darn it! She, by the way, still has a little crossbow bolt stuck in her back. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive. So she's... And just... Yeah, she, she's been bleeding, apparently, this whole time. And so when she jumps out the window... She almost passes out, and then she just, she she kind of gives up on the way down, and she's just like, "I I am going to lose consciousness. I really can't do anything about it. It's probably for the best." And that's when Dracula and Rachel, who are bats, find and catch her and fly her away. And then the police arrive in a meaningless panel. Yeah, and that takes us to chapter three. Where Storm awakens in the central bazaar of Cairo, Egypt. And she's all like, I haven't been here since I was three. And she's like, well, there's a scarf here that's Dracula's, so that's weird. This is madness. And then her mother shows up and she's like, mother. Yeah. You're dead. Yeah. And then her, More or less. <laughs> her father's there and, and he's like, there, Aurora. Having a good time at the bazaar? Bring me any presents? I'm so happy to have a family. <laughs> and history repeats itself, and the uh, the airplane shows up. Um, what is this? is this? Is this her father taking photos? Yeah, I guess it is. He, he goes out to take some photos of the, the airplane battle that's happening above their house, and the airplane, as it's crashing down, because it got shot down, it, it fires at the ground for whatever reason, and then crashes into the ground. And David tries to rescue Aurora and Indare, and um, 
We've seen this all before. Only Storm is spared. She's buried underneath some rubble, and Storm's like, oh my god, I'm alone, and it's dark, and I'm claustrophobic. And that's when we see Dracula lifting up some rocks, saying, whoa, you cried out, are you all, are you all right? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you had me sleeping in a coffin? What the heck? <laughs> you know that I'm claustrophobic. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. Uh, I've been alive for 600 years. I forget the small details every now and again. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Storm checks her teeth and she's like, Oof, okay, I've got no fangs, so I'm still a human, so this is good. Hey, remember uh, when we predicted that Wolverine was the pilot of the, uh, the, the, the ship that crashes and kills Storm's parents? Uh, I don't remember that, but that doesn't surprise me that we said that. I'm just going to bring that up again okay. uh, in case any writers at Marvel are listening and they want to retcon an interesting story into the backlog. I don't know. Just saying. <laughs> sure. Sure. Tales from Wolverine number one could feature his first test pilot in Cairo, Egypt, where things went horribly wrong. Whoa. What a strange connection. <laughs> Credits, Adam and Jeremy. <laughs> so Dracula's like. You lost a lot of blood, but it didn't go to waste. Uh, 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 uh. And <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> that's essentially what Storm says. And that's when uh, Dracula slaps her across the face. And this is a pretty, she is flying into the coffin and knocks it over. And that's, I don't know, man, that's, that's hurtful. It's a hard slap. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. So she goes flying and that's when Rachel is like, eh, suck it up. <laughs> Yeah, I could have let you die because of that wound, but instead I didn't. I I saved you and uh, blah, blah. So that's when Dracula comes up, grabs Storm by the hair, pulls her neck up, and he is about to say, like, look, time is now. You had your chance to be human, but now you're going to be a vampire. He needs an extra advantage because Kitty has the Montessi formula and her mutant blood will give her that extra advantage. So he goes in for the bite, and that's when he is shot in the stomach. Zark. <laughs> or should we say zit? Zit! Because it's Cyclops. The X-Men, bub. We look after our own. Storm, are you okay? And that's when the X-Men join the fray, and uh, Dracula takes a spear that happened to be laying around and throws it at Cyclops, but the team snaps into action. Wolverine's unbreakable adamantium claws flash from bionic housings and Wolverine's forearms to bat the sphere aside into Nightcrawler's hands. Whoa. And that's when Nightcrawler teleports right on top of Dracula and stabs him through the heart. Serious, man. Well, maybe not through the heart, but it comes out the other side. Yeah, he's messed up. And that's when Rachel comes and she's like, oh, my God, I'll save you. And so she yanks the spear out of Dracula. How did she manage to do that? Uh, I don't know. That's going to hurt. She does, but she's going to take the same spear and she's going to jam it into Cyclops. But Cyclops, using his judo reflexes, flips her over his back in a very <laughs> awkward looking throw. He says, judo chop. <laughs> and she's not happy. Your strength is nothing compared to me, little man. You cannot harm me. I don't believe it. She transformed into mist. I hate mist. <laughs> How can my deadly eyes affect this mist? <laughs> so, yeah, the mist is flying around, and it ends up 
throwing Cyclops on the ground, and she's about to go in for what looks like a snack. And Kitty and Colossus show up. And Dracula says, Aha! The cast is finally complete. Blah. <laughs> but the child is somehow different. So he, he he realizes something's going on. He doesn't quite get it, but he knows that this kitty is not kitty. He picks up a coffin and throws it at her. Kitty phases it through. Colossus smashes it. Rachel Van Helsing is transformed into a wolf. Which makes no sense. <laughs> She's becoming solid, transforming into a wolf. I mean, if... True Blood taught us anything. It's that there is an eternal feud between the werewolves and the vampires. Vampires don't turn into werewolves. Duh. Oh, well, I never watched True Blood. Spoilers. Or that other under Underworld or whatever it's called. The movies? Yeah, isn't that, wasn't there a movie? I thought there was like a series of movies called Underworld, and I never watched them either. I saw the first one, hmm. and... uh it was not good. Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen any of them. But in any event, um, Cyclops shoots the wolf in the face. Zap! And Dracula's like, I'm going to take this battle to the catacombs of my home. Uh, 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 uh. Secret cave. Blah. <laughs> so Kitty, who is not Kitty, we've established that. She She sees this. She sticks her arm through a wall and she's like, okay. I have found the secret passage, so come with me, Colossus. Petey, hold up. What the blazes is going on? Why'd you and Quitty swipe the blackbird? Um, and how did we get here? <laughs> that would be my question, right? So we, we didn't know this until just now, but Kitty and Colossus stole the blackbird to get to Dracula's castle, and somehow the rest of the X-Men came. You made it so we had to walk. <laughs> Maybe they drove the, uh, the Rolls Royce. And maybe it's just a little further upstate New York, and it's really not that far away at all. Yeah. Even though in the earlier panel, it did say that uh, Storm had flown 3,000 miles. <laughs> God, even in an airplane, that's a long time to be flying. Boy, were her arms tired. Well, all right. <laughs> Try the buffet. I'll be here all week. <laughs> well, Colossus is like, shut up, and he punches Wolverine in the head. Yeah, he slaps him. <laughs> Uh, he, and he rips down the door to follow Kitty, who I guess is phased through the wall. Colossus, wait! Don't go in there! The passage might be <laughs> booby-trapped. <laughs> I said booby. <laughs> and it is booby-trapped. A big metal thing falls on Colossus's back. Apparently it's called a deadfall. A deadfall. Stand clear, everyone, while I pulverize that slab. I am no slab. Oh, you mean this thing. <laughs> um, it must weigh a ton. Could even Peter survive such an impact? I just realized I haven't said anything this whole episode. <laughs> and this is all I get. Uh, well, he said, Kitty, Ag, you're walking through me at the beginning. Yeah, that's true. He said the occasion. I think he said Octolieber at some point. Yeah. Underwritten. Under, underappreciated. Underutilized. Well, anyways, uh, Cyclops is like, yeah, he's fine. Look, he's gone. <laughs> the X-Men reconvene. They reconnect with Storm and uh, catch her up. Um, Cyclops starts throwing orders out and Storm's like, I am the team leader, Cyclops. Don't be ridiculous. You're a girl. I mean, you're <laughs> in no shape for a fight. 
Suppose Dracula regains control of you, just like suppose the brood would have regained control of us just a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> so she's like, I don't care about Dracula. I'm going to be the boss. And Cyclops is like, fine, whatever. Also, in case you haven't realized that Kitty and Peter are not Kitty and Peter, they're under a mysterious influence. Yeah, yeah. So they they figure out that the only way to get into the secret catacombs is for Cyclops to blast a hole into the floor, which he does. And we get this little uh, side note where uh, because Aurora is in a bad mood, the weather is also bad. That's true. Uh, they Need jump. Little, little side power. Yeah. So they jump down the hole. Uh, everybody's kind of being. Uh, well, they don't just jump down the hole. Cyclops blasts a hole for them to jump down into, which is entirely ridiculous. It, well, it's not the first time he's blasted a hole in the, the floor that, that goes way down. Remember that time way back when when he made stairs? that went. Yeah, that was even more <clears throat> ridiculous. Yeah. So anyways, uh, so he does. He makes his hole. And then they jump into the hole, but Storm is using her wind power to kind of gracefully lower them. Uh, Wolverine is doing his typical... Uh, just another falling down the hole routine. Nifty, you futzers. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, Nightcrawler is in his, um, he's in an acrobatic pose, and Cyclops is looking kind of worried, actually. <laughs> um, when are we going to get a chance to scoot? <laughs> First chance I get to touch down on the ground, I'm scooting, you futzers. <laughs> So Cyclops says, Wolverine, I want you to take the point as soon as we get to the bottom. Wolverine does. He grabs the scent, and he starts running towards Dracula. And they find Dracula. So that's good. Storm is confronting her uh, claustrophobia as they are in a tunnel underground. Let's not forget that Storm is claustrophobic. We forget sometimes, but right now we're good. Yep. Dracula hurls Colossus at the X-Men. The X-Men are ably, well, they ably dodge the toss. Bob, I've been aching for a rematch since our fracas in Central Park. That was in X-Men number 159. Maybe you can't bleed when I cut you, but let's see how dangerous you are after I slice and dice your spine. So Dracula respects the claws, but he is able to get the upper hand over Wolverine and bites into Wolverine's neck. Now Wolverine works for Dracula and starts growling. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, and he commands Wolverine to attack Cyclops. Scatter, X-Men! Wolverine's gone berserk! He cray-cray. Growl, says Wolverine. Meanwhile... Actually, uh, there's no no L there, so he just says, Growl! And so Rachel then attacks Storm. Storm finds another spear and almost hits Rachel in the head with it. But But she cannot kill. Rachel's like, no, I must spend eternity enslaved to the monster I've sworn to destroy. Oh, my gosh. I've forgotten all about this. This sucks. Kill me. (laughs) The battle with the X-Men has split Dracula's uh, concentration, so he's not entirely in control of Rachel. And she wants Storm to kill her. But Storm already had that opportunity, and she couldn't do it. And so she says, I thought I could, Rachel, but I was mistaken. Sorry, sucks to be you. 
Wolverine is hacking and slashing a Colossus. It's not really doing much good, but some sparks apparently are being generated. I wish we could see those sparks. No kidding. And Dracula continues to command Wolverine. Uh, Kitty shows up, and she's got the book. And so she starts chanting the incantation. Habarasma rabis caterama lucim de paradoxi. Oh, Jeremy, something just appeared in my room. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I'm going to have to do the rest of this episode by myself. Adam, you need to stop summoning demons. I will help you. <laughs> is this where is this is this thing on? Hello? Uh, did you read is this the, a podcast? Did you read the episode, Mr. Demon? I'll, I'll, I'll wing it. Oh, okay, perfect. Well, it turns out that this chant is definitely negatively affecting Dracula, and he is not happy with it. It's the monsterized formula. Actually, he gives a Wilhelm scream. Yar! If only we would have had that queued up, Adam. We should always have it queued up. <laughs> it should always be on the waiting. Uh, Kitty, in the name of God, be silent. So Nightcrawler knows that whatever this chant is, it's not good. Yeah, he smacks the book out of her hand and says, uh, those words are from the Darkhold. Ancient Grimoire, utterly ir- utterly irredeemably evil. Had you completed enchantment, your soul would have been forfeit. Uh, so the Darkhold is is that the Book of Darkhold is a series that came out at the same time I was reading Ghost Rider in the nineties. Okay, so it seemed like this chant, this Darkhold chant or whatever, was having a negative effect on Dracula. So it must have more unanticipated consequences. Well, um, as we learn, um, not only would it have killed uh, Dracula, but it would have destroyed the soul of. Whoever reads the the scripture. Yeah, sounds like an even trade-off. Yeah, you know, fa- fair enough. But the X-Men don't want to lose Kitty quite yet. Okay. So uh, everybody's kind of mad at him. Kitty's choking. Not everyone. Kitty's mad at him. Kitty starts choking Nightcrawler. Storm reaches in to pull Kitty's arm away. And that's when Dracula realizes that the girl, Kitty, is possessed of course, this explains everything. A masterful stratagem. I never suspected. Show yourself, daughter. Your masquerade is over. You have lost the ability to do me harm. Ah, 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 ah. And then Kitty transforms into somebody else. So does that mean there was never Kitty in the first place? I guess so. And it turns out that it is actually Dracula's daughter, Lilith. Right, who also had an appearance as an arch enemy of Ghost Rider. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Yeah. So, based on what I'm seeing in this comic book right now, Kitty is not here. Yeah, it's. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Kitty's not here, man. <laughs> Whoa. So Dracula slaps. Lilith across the face, and he's like, oh, I'm very mad at you. You're grounded. No allowance for two weeks. She says she'll never release the girl. So I guess she's... Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> she'll remain the host form of a vampire. Oh, so I guess she's just inside of Kitty? So this Lilith body is Kitty, or it is not Kitty? I guess let's just keep reading. Maybe we'll, we'll figure it out. Okay. Even though we we did read it already once. 
Uh, so Dracula's on the ground. Somebody hurls a spear at Dracula's heart. I think it's Rachel. Um, she's like, look, I'm a Van Helsing. You murdered everybody I loved. So here's my cross and I'm going to kill you and you're dead. How did she get out of the thing? What thing was she in? Well, she was under Dracula's control. Love and hope. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so her power, everybody's control is released. Wolverine is released. Colossus is released. Everybody's released. And that's when the castle starts collapsing into the coast. Everybody runs out of the building and the castle falls into the water. Right. Wolverine is about to cut uh, Dracula's head off because that's the only way to keep him from regenerating. Uh, right. Right. So, um, sequel, everybody. Dracula's not quite dead. No, no. So they all run outside before they can decapitate uh, Dracula, and the sun's coming up, and Lilith is hanging out, and she's like, look, I'm a good person. I meant well. You're all my friends now. The sun's coming up. It'll be a slow, painful death. So could one of you stake me? <laughs> and Storm says, I will, but then Wolverine steps in and says, no. Killing's my profession. hundred bucks. I'll do it. Yeah. So, well, yep. So that's uh, that's Rachel Van Helsing that she, he stakes Chook. And she... It's a, it's, it's a really nice scene. I mean, I like it. They they get really close and they use her the Chuck and he hugs her and it's nice. And then she sees the sun rise and she's like, the sun, it looks so white, so beautiful, blah, blah, blah. Which would have made more sense, but I mean, based on the continuity of this particular book... It seems that Rachel Van Helsing's been a vampire for like two days. What do you mean? Well, so what? I mean this, this, oh, the sun, it's bright, so beautiful, would make a lot more sense. Oh, in- I, I don't think she's saying it in the sense that I haven't seen the sun in a billion years. I think she's just saying it in the sun that, in the sense that, you know, I'm dying and everything looks really beautiful right now. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. It's, it's, it's a nice moment. She rests her head on... Wolverine's Wolverine's shoulder, and then in the next panel, you just see her her skull on Wolverine's shadow and a lot of smoke. Yep, she has she's she's dead. So they take a walk, will you, Roro? Guys, I'll finish this, but I prefer to do it alone. So what does she have to he have to finish? I guess he's gonna bury the body, maybe. Oh, so that's when Kitty shows up again, but it's not. It's Lilith. I'm Dracula's daughter, which you already knew. So I don't know why I'm revealing myself again, but here I am. Uh, Cyclops is like, you're a vampire, but the sun doesn't affect you? And she's like, no or does crosses or garlic or any of the traditional defenses. I am unique. Can't kill me. Yep. She was created to be a vampire as her father's nemesis. So she's his daughter, but she's also his nemesis. Yeah. So they always are. They're always fighting, and she's got slightly different vampirical powers. Forever yin, there is a yang, and apparently she's Dracula's yang. You <laughs> that beats being his wang. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, so she's like, "You can have Kitty back. I'm out of here. Goodbye." <laughs> <laughs> and Kitty's like, "Where am I?" Before she leaves, she reveals that. Uh, by the way, Storm. Uh, Dracula's dead now, and therefore his hold on you and Wolverine is over. So uh, we're ending this thread. Yeah. This storyline is officially over. 
Also, Colossus is in no danger either. Yep. Uh, I, I bit him, but he didn't lose enough blood, so it's cool. Mm-hmm. And the one thing, I mean, whatever, that's all fine and good, but I would think that wouldn't Wolverine's like healing factor take care of the whole Dracula thing? That's a good question. I guess we'll find that out in 20 years when we do the vampires versus the X-Men story. Yeah. So look forward to that, audience. Oh, yeah. Everything's all right. Uh, You know, there's kind of like this is, you know, this little moment between Wolverine and uh, Storm where she's like, "Okay, everything's fine. Uh, Wolverine's like, good, then it's over. Storm's like, is it? And the panel says, the end question mark no adam says the end dot 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 question mark yeah i ignored the dot <laughs> dot dots they're not that exciting so there you go x-men annual number six in the can sweetly deedly not a bad story i mean it's a fight honestly i like i i like the annual stories i know a lot of Maybe a lot of people don't, but it's just like it's just an extra story that you get throughout the year. A lot of times it feels like it's not in canon because it doesn't ever seem like it has anything to do with anything else that's going on. A lot of other times, this case too, but in other cases it feels like it's kind of a reset, you know, like, okay, so we're not doing a story in the middle of another big story. Like the Brood story itself was a good six or seven months or whatever, and it just ended. So this is kind of like a a palate cleanser before we get into the next whatever story we're going to do. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think, yeah, like you like you say, the, the story, the annuals are usually one-offs that you kind of have to just insert into the middle of the continuity somewhere. No. And that makes them feel like they're not necessarily a part of the continuity, but, you know. Why not? Right, and I mean, for the most part, they're there's they're in the mo- for the most part, they're generally not necessary. Now, that will change in the next few years of X Men continuity, where things will happen that do directly affect continuity. But for now, they're just just little extra stories. Remember when Marvel used to have their events as the annuals? I hated that, and we'll get there. But I hated it. What did you hate? Why did you hate it? Because the only uh, I remember the Evolutionary War and I remember Atlantis attacks and I remember them being just such. Every annual was sixty four pages long, which in and of <laughs> itself is a long issue. But then to put that into eight or ten annuals, it just didn't work for me because the stories never followed a single team or a single person. I mean, it generally followed like a single villain or a single team of villains. But then it just kind of worked its way through the various teams. I, I don't know. It just seemed too big and convoluted. And it, it was just—it was obviously just like a ploy to be like, buy all the an- annuals this year. Well, yeah, I, I think the it was like, if you want to follow the story, you need to buy everything else. And maybe if you like everything else, you'll start buying the Hulk or right, whatever. Right. But Atlantis Attacks like was a story that completely didn't interest me at all. You just bought it for the X-Men. I just bought the X-Men version. I read it and I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on. There's a lot of fish people and I don't know. And then the same thing with the Evolutionary War. Like I was sort of interested in the high evolutionary, but I the story that – and I guess we'll get to it at some point. But the story that was read in X-Men Annual that was of the Evolutionary War, like it just did nothing for me. Like it, I don't – 
It's immemorable. I remember the High Evolutionary being on the cover, and that's it. I don't remember what, the, what happened in the comic at all. And I've read it multiple times. <laughs> so, okay. there you go. We'll have to uh, mercilessly taunt it then. Or maybe we'll love it. Yeah, you never know. Maybe it was more of an adult story, and so the adult me would be like, oh my god, this is fascinating. I can't believe I passed this up when I was younger. <laughs> never know. Uh, we did get some communique this this week around. We got a uh, post on the website, which is www.xmenpodcast.com. This is from Child of the Atom, and he says, he asks, this is a question that we've been asked many times, and, and we will probably do a similar job answering it this time around. But he asks, are you guys going to podcast about spin-off solo series? Well, the answer, I guess, is yes, to a certain extent. We should just come up with a different answer every time. Oh, no, uh, we're not. Uh, no, this is the last episode. <laughs> yes. Find us when we do our complete review of early 90s techno music. That's going to be our next <laughs> podcast. That's going to yes. be awesome. I cannot wait. Get your bass drums out yeah. <laughs> and get ready for some shaman because they're coming on and they're coming on strong. Is that how you pronounce it? Shaman? I thought it was shaman. <laughs> and those are the kind of conversations that we're going to have. <laughs> uh, he does go on to say that fans are excited for New Mutants, Gambit, Wolverine, X-Men Apocalypse, uh, and would love to hear your thoughts. Well, so are we. Uh, yeah. I mean, we already said we're not going to do New Mutants. Uh, there is somebody, a listener, a couple episodes ago, and I don't have it in front of me, so I'm sorry, but he is doing a New Mutants podcast. So if you want to get your New Mutants fix, go there. Yeah, uh, and we'll try to dig that up next time around because that would be a great sister or brother or companion podcast to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics commentary podcast. He does go on to say that uh, our Days of Future podcast was amazing. Well, thank you. We thought so. I like that. Days of Future podcast. Yes. We, we should change the name of this podcast to Days of Future podcast. Yeah. He also says that X-Men Apocalypse seems to feature the best X-Men cast yet. Adam, do you know who's the cast of X-Men Apocalypse? Uh, this and that, yeah. Oh, okay. Because I haven't read anything on it yet. Um, the girl from Game of Thrones is Jean Grey. Arya? No, the other one. Sansa. Oh, really? The redhead. Yeah. I don't know if I'd get behind that choice. That's a podcast for another day. So as soon as we get more details on <laughs> X-Men Apocalypse, you better believe we will podcast about that. Scott Channing Tatum as Gambit. All right. More things to talk about as we get closer <laughs> to that podcast. Not really. That's a whole other movie. And he gives he goes on to give us uh, give me I guess some ideas for future X Men video games to review. So if you're unsure of what that means, you can actually go out to xmenpodcast.com and under the Danger Room related section, there are some video casts of well at least two X Men related video games that I've covered, and maybe one one of these months I'll get around to covering another one. But so thank you for that, Child of the Atom. Podcast killed the vid radio DJ. <laughs> and vidcast killed the podcast star. There was never a podcast star. It's, was there? Well, yeah, sure, of course. The, the Nerdist, he's a podcast star. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Adam, what's his face from Love Call we, That Guy? We should, 
We should get, I don't know what you're talking about. We should get on the Nerdist. I've decided. Okay. Well, you work on that. Uh, Kevin. If anybody out there knows, uh, Chris, what's his name? Chris Hardwick. Chris Hardwick. Hook us up. Yeah. Yeah. Get us onto the Nerdist. Uh, uh, Kevin Smith. He's definitely a podcast star. He's got like 27 of them. I just saw Kevin Smith last night. But there you go. I mean, that was your opportunity. He's a big geek. He knows X-Men. You should have gotten us on one of his podcasts well it was it was a he had two hours and he did not meet and greet or anything of that he was going right into another show at the end of our show actually our show was supposed to end at nine and it ended at nine thirty. i so. feel like you probably didn't try hard enough i didn't try at all so in that sense you're right <laughs> all right then i know a lot about tusk though so if you want to talk about tusk now oh i got the information let's talk about tusk now did you see the movie <laughs> I have not seen the movie, but after hearing him talk about it for a couple hours, I want to see it. Oh, do you? Well, you, yeah. should, you should see it. So that that could be something we'll talk about. I've seen the movie. I have my own opinions formulated on it. I have not heard what you're talking about, though I believe that whatever you saw is probably going to be released in podcast form somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. Because that's what he does. Uh, and then we can talk about it. So that, that would be interesting. So, yeah. Uh, do we get any other communications, Adam? Uh, Jake Ibe on the Facebook followed up with uh, the talk of the BAMF. Uh, we had, as we mentioned last episode, he he says his BAMF uh, could be made a bar at a bar because it isn't that different from a Long Island iced tea. Um, you had asked about light rum, and he says that's like Bacardi. Okay, yeah, it totally makes sense. But um, I actually brought. Uh, this goes out to you, Jake. I actually brought. Uh, your recipe to my friend that owns a bar. And he did immediately, in fact, say, oh, it's kind of like a Long Island iced tea. And um, his, we, we're, I, I'm actually going to try and make this with him tomorrow. So by the time this drops, I may or may not have had a Banff. But uh, he's, he wanted to uh, say to any anybody who's out there that interested in making it that the ideal bar drink is three ingredients. Makes sense. There's like a, a base, whether it be like juice or uh, water or uh, I don't know, whatever you put in there. And then you, you mix in two alcohols or an alcohol and a mixer and whatever. Got it. So th- those are just some basic guidelines for the type of stuff that he would put in his bar. So, folks, you got the hookup. We're very close. You could get a picture of your recipe, uh, or the, at least the name of your drink, on a menu that Adam and I will post on Instagram. Yeah. And tag you. I was actually uh, trying to make my own version of Jake Ibe's Banff. I was kind of altering it to uh, my friend's specifications. I'm not there yet, but... I sent you some photos, Jeremy. Trying to get the color down. Yeah, it looked bamfy, but you said it wasn't very alcoholy. It, I didn't put in any alcohol yet. I was just trying to get the color down. So here you go. Like you're you're creating little mixologists uh, <laughs> on the X Men podcast. I hope so. I have a lot of fun with it. I hope everybody else does. So yeah, if you'd like to submit a recipe or get in contact with us, you can do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com. All of the podcasts are there. You can comment on individual episodes, uh, or you can go out to iTunes and you can search for Danger Room. Under the podcast section, we'll show up with the first one there. You can subscribe, leave us some feedback. 
whatever you want to do there. We're also available on Stitcher. You can like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. And you can follow us at Danger Room Go. Um, you can call us, 501-GET-X-MEN, and leave us a voice message. Other than that, uh, yeah, that's about you it. Can figure out where we live and track us down and, and show up at our doors. That would be scary, but but yeah, we I mean we've basically given you every piece of communication that you can get to us, other than our street addresses. So I guess that's the next step. Which honestly, we're not going to give it to you. You got to do your homework. <laughs> that's right. There's a whole big internet out there to help you find that information. <laughs> so let's uh, let's move this party on uh, and cover. Well, what is this? This is Special Edition X-Men number one, which has a cover date of February 1983, and it came out in November 2nd of 1982. It has a cover price of $2, and it's essentially a reprint of Second Genesis. But we're not going to cover the reprint. We're interested in the backup story, which has a title of A Day Like Any Other. Yeah, and I think I actually own a physical copy of this issue, but, uh, well... I didn't look through it. I just couldn't find it in my spreadsheet that catalogs all my comic books. <laughs> so whatever, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, basically this is, uh, well, it's written by Chris Claremont. It's drawn by Dave Cockrum and Hilary Barda. So maybe Hilary Barda's the inker. Tom Morzakowski is the letterer and is helped, I guess, by David Cody Weiss. Andy Yonkis, that guy's back doing colors. Yonkis. <laughs> Yonkis color. <laughs> Louis Jones is the editor and... Kim Schuter is the editor-in-chief. He's just the chief. Oh, just the chief. Heem. Hey, chief. <laughs> and uh, Kitty, Kitty mad. Kitty exercise. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those mornings where nothing seemed to fit. I'm not going to read all of that. No, she's, 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 I don't know. She's exercising. She's getting out some aggressions. She's still wearing that Star of David, and she is exercising on... Uneven quad parallel bars. There you go. So she takes it a little too far. She pushes herself. She she loses her balance. Well, disaster strikes so quickly, so completely, that she's unable to use her mutant power to face herself through the apparatus. And she conks her head. Bonk. And Ilyana sees her and she's like, Kitty, there you are. Okay, Ilyana. I'm more angry than hurt. That was a pretty dumb stunt. She thought she was the only one home, so she's a little surprised that Ileana's there. So she's like, hey, you want to go on a tour? Yeah, because Ileana's talking about how she's kind of finding the place intimidating and scary. And Kitty says, ah, that's cool. I'll show you around. All right. Kitty walks up her invisible steps into the control room. She phases through the control deck. Which I'm going to have to assume that they created a space in the control deck of the danger room that has absolutely no electronics in it. That was my first impression as well. Because I'm like, because she walks right through the control yeah. center. The professor specifically moved all of the circuitry and wiring from that area so that Kitty could phase to that spot. It's got to be. <laughs> you know, one thing that I do like, and it's represented here, is when Kitty is walking up her invisible stairs they illustrate her as if she's walking up a pair of invisible stairs and this is a trait that that sticks with her for years and years and it's just 
uh, it's a nuanced artistic expression that I like because it could have easily just been like Kitty floats up. Mm-hmm. But instead, they decide to add like this little touch of like, it's like walking up invisible stairs. And they show her walking up invisible stairs. I don't know why. I just like it. But anyways, so Kitty gives uh, Ileana a demonstration of the danger room. And she's like, look, there's there's crazy gymnastics for Nightcrawler. And now there's space for the X-Men. Do you ever do that thing where you're walking upstairs in the dark and you like you think there's one more step <laughs> and you kind of you kind of step down and then your foot goes down really fast. and You're like, whoa. It, it's been a while. Do you, do you think it's like that? Mm, no, because Kitty's walking on invisible stairs. And to me, that would mean that she's walking on as many stairs as she can imagine she's walking on. So she's kind of making it up as she goes and yeah. the stairs are exactly where they need to be. Yeah, that's I'm surprised you're OK with that. That's not very scientific. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so, yeah, after the tour of the danger room, Kitty's getting in a little bit better spirits, and she says, well, let me show you around this dump. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a jacuzzi, and there's a pool, and... Sauna, and a steam room, and a health club-type facilities. Ileana's like, sounds perfect if we only had some sexy lifeguards to go along with it. Yeah. Now, they're, they're both, like... 14 and 12, respectively. So it's kind well, of that's like... Well, that's what, they, you know, 14 and 12-year-olds talk about. Sexy lifeguards. They don't know what that means. They just think it's funny. They giggle. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm give you that. giggle. <laughs> you said lifeguards. <laughs> There's a point where Kitty's like, the danger room used to be on the first floor, which led to a lot of embarrassing things. Yeah, the old danger room wasn't anywhere near as sophisticated or versatile it was located on the main floor of the mansion. Anyone could walk in any time when it was in use. It's a miracle no one ever got squished. Now the room's buried 10 meters below the mansion, and it's shielded so that no matter what happens down here, people upstairs won't be disturbed. So do you think that that's a direct, I don't know, nod to the early X-Men issues where Cyclops would fall in the room when the parents were visiting? Probably because like Chris Claremont like did a practical practically a panel for panel remake of like one of those Stan Lee issues. Oh, so. yep, you're right. Yep. Well, good on them. Callback. Anyways, Kitty is like, yeah, this is the mansion. We've got three wings. We've got an outer wing and two inner wings, or two outer wings and an inner wing. I don't know. People live on she- one side. That's kind of cool, because, like, I never really thought about it. It's like one of those old-school G.I. Joe pit maps. You got on your left-hand side, you know, because you look at the the, the uh, mansion, and it's always been divided into those three sections, essentially. And then you got your wings in your middle, and it's, it's New Mutants on the left, X-Men on the right, Professor in the middle. The difference is the old pit maps were usually contained on one page, and had a bunch of tactical details and schematics and whatnot. This and is, they were awesome, and I wish they yeah. had those. <laughs> and this is like plodding through the mansion, like, here's this thing, and here's this thing. I used to study those pit maps for hours. And then I'd go to school, and I'd draw my own pit. And I'd label them, and put like, tanks go here, and computers go here, and sleeping goes here, and secret escape tunnel goes over here. And you'd draw the armpit, and you'd be like... <laughs> Hair follicles go here, and it stench smell goes here, and it all takes place on this man's armpit. 
Yeah. No, I wouldn't do that, Adam. That's oh, weird. Sorry. <laughs> so they, they, they get a tour of Cerebro. It's controlled by the professor, but it can be used without professor, but it's not as powerful without the professor. So... Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's apparently it's it's very it causes severe strain. Mm-hmm. That's why he doesn't use it very often. And it's it's one of the really old cerebros mm-hmm. in the office. Yep. And there's a picture of uh the X-Men on the desk. The original the, old, the, the original 5. And they go up to Storm's attic. So basically Kitty is just like snooping around the X-Men mansion with Ileana. Yeah, and narrating, rifling through all of their personal belongings. This is kind of weird because wasn't didn't like a couple of episodes ago, the professor tell the New Mutants don't wander around. Yes, he did. He t- in the New Mutants, as a matter of fact, I think like New Mutants number two or three. But Kitty's doing it because she's not a New Mutant yet. Even though the professor has threatened to make her a New Mutant, she's not one. I better take advantage of my power while I still have it. So we get a tour of Storm's room, and we get a little story that she had to walk the Serengeti plane for 2,000 miles, and crazy, that's crazy. She says that uh, on Storm's trek, she thinks she may have killed someone, and she also thinks she fell in love. Oh, so, you know, interesting little backstory for Storm. I hope not with the same man, Ileana says. <laughs> I wonder if he was sexy. I wonder if he was a lifeguard. <laughs> so they go into Jean's room, which is empty. She died. Then they go into Cyclops's room. Cyclops apparently still has a picture of Jean on his desk, which makes sense. A model of the Blackbird, which is weird. A model <laughs> of the space shuttle, which it, do you think that's the same space shuttle that they crashed into Jamaica Bay with? Because that would be even really weird. And um, a photograph of uh, he and his brother with his dad. Yep. And a typewriter on his desk, so apparently he's typing up his reports. The weird thing is he's got a typewriter and a computer. Oh, yeah. Well, is that a computer or is that like – because the buttons are really big. So maybe it's a Shi'ar or a Star Jammer communicator. It's like a punch card machine. (laughs) Checking into my room. Okay. (laughs) Okay, Cyclops. Then they go visit. Uh, I like the fact that uh, Corsair is wearing his outfit and Scott and Alex are just wearing like normal clothes. I don't think we've ever seen Corsair in plain clothes, have we? You know, you'd think he was on Earth for like a week. You'd think he'd try on some normal clothes. These are what jeans are like. I had forgotten. <laughs> uh, Cyclops' room is next door to Jean's room. Mm. Mm, easy access. Because <laughs> they used to do it, Adam, a lot. They did it once. <laughs> that we know of. No, you're right. They did it on the butt just once. Yep. Uh, anyways, they go into Wolverine's room. Wolverine apparently has a picture of, uh, Carol Danvers and, um, what's her face? Mariko. Mariko. And, uh, it looks so clean and, cle- uh, you know, kept together until you step on a beer can. <laughs> There's like bamboo and all sorts of ornate Japanese things and, uh, and a cowboy hat yep. and a copy of Hustler on the bed. Yeah, he's got. Uh, this this will help me go to sleep. <laughs> he's got a wine skin hanging from the wall. Then they go into Nightcrawler's room. Nightcrawler's got some pictures of Captain Blood, which must be a movie, I guess. Or yeah, I feel like it's some sort of old pirate thing. I have no idea what it is. A, a picture, a very large picture of him near the fireplace of his room. By the way, he's got a fireplace in his room. 
The picture is of what looks like Nightcrawler dressed up as a pirate. That's very Stephen Colbert of him. <laughs> it, it is. If only there was a picture of the picture of him by the <laughs> fireplace, then we would have our beginnings of a Colbert. Yeah, and apparently he's got like a whole gymnasium set up above his room so that he can practice his acrobatics. He lets me play on his jungle gym. That's code for wiener. <laughs> <laughs> and, appar- and apparently, this is, I don't think, ever addressed again. She goes up and she's like, Hi, Terry, Ileana, meet Colonel Pterodactyl Lee. Kurt loves comic strips, you see, and really gross puns. Terry's a souvenir from the X-Men's mission to the Savage Land, that weird area in Antarctica where dinosaurs still exist. Cute, isn't he? Terry. Yes. What did I say? Pateri. Doesn't matter. What I'm saying is <laughs> Nightcrawler has a pet pterodactyl in his bedroom? That he stole from the Savage Land. That sounds so that we'll never see again. Horrible. Because, um, Lockheed's about to eat him. <laughs> okay. Lock who? Uh, we don't know yet. That doesn't make any... I, like, why did why did Chris Claremont throw this in here? Like, oh, yeah. Hey, as you're drawing this, could you just throw a pterodactyl in Nightcrawler's room? I think I'm going to use that sometime in the future. No. Kitty, what happened to my pterodactyl? <laughs> it's, it's, it's disappeared and there are its wings are on the floor. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All of a sudden, children in Westchester are missing. and A giant <laughs> flying pterodactyl have been reported. Impossible? Who's to say? They go into Colossus's room and uh, Colossus has got some art, but Kitty's like, yeah, he doesn't think he's very good at poetry or art. <laughs> he's right. I mean, wrong. Yeah. Then they go into Kitty's room. In Kitty's room, she's got she's got Fozzie Bear and Kermit the Frog, and she's got a Garfield poster and a Lockheed stuffed animal. That's weird. And it, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And an E.T. puppet who's got a phone. Apparently, he's phoning home. And, uh, yeah, the room is just a disaster. There's a picture of a cat playing a guitar next to Garfield, which is weird. I feel like the cat playing a guitar is from something. Like, I've seen that in my childhood. Sure, I'm sure it is. Uh, and, it's got and Xavier flag. Kitty's like, or Ilania's like, Are you two? Oh, darn. What's the phrase? Oh, I got it. Are you an item? Referring to her and Colossus. Give me a break. He's 19. And you're 14, so what? Like the swimsuit? I should, considering it's mine. Don't change the subject! Sorry. So this uh, kitty's room is totally different than the kitty's room that we saw in the previous issue. Yes. Where's the Rolling Stone poster? Well, and not only that, the, the bedroom that we saw in the annual number six was sparse. It had a bed and this Rolling Stones poster, and that's it. This Where, room. When did they move Ileana's bed in? Is just, I mean, it, well, I get what they're going for. It's a cluttered, oh, there's an Empire Strikes Back poster. I don't know who the dude is next to Darth Vader, but yeah, this is a cluttered teenager's bedroom. So, yeah. yeah. They go out to the pool and they go swimming and they make some Juliet and Romeo illusions, but whatever. <laughs> Whenever I see Peter, I melt inside. All the things I've read and giggled at in books are suddenly painfully real. It's like riding the crest of a tidal wave in control, but being... Blah, blah, blah. Ileana's like, it's love. I should know because I was stuck in limbo for seven years and learned all about love from Belasco, <laughs> who loved me. Yeah, that happened. Anyways, 
was Peter the reason that you were going to bash your brains out in the parallel beams? Gosh, no. Well, maybe that was a part of it. Somebody from some computer monitors is like, Splendid, the children are gone. The mansion is ours at last. Begin your work. It's a bald-headed evil mastermind. Yes. Uh, soon they will return and have the memory that they will not soon forget. <laughs> so they uh, they go out to the boathouse and put on their scuba diving gear and go scuba diving. She talks about her how her folks, things are really lousy between her folks. Why would she even say that their things are lousy? Obviously, they just got divorced. Of course, things are lousy between them. I don't Get know. a grip, kitty. They, uh, they swim through an airlock. Ilyana, however, is not wearing a swimsuit. That's true. I just noticed that. So Kitty was sharing the mouthpiece of her scuba tank with Ilyana. Right. Which is weird. But anyways, they, they make it into the airlock, and this is the hangar. This is the emergency entrance to the hangar. And there's a blackbird sitting on a turntable. There is a couple of weird... There's a weird-looking green and yellow airplane, a normal-looking red and white airplane, the uh, shuttle that takes them from the hangar to the mansion, and then I want to say that this is the Sentinel ship. Yeah, maybe. From way back when. They just don't use anymore. The little Sentinel hover car from, I don't know, X-Men 42 or something. I wonder if it's a throwback. It's got to be. I hope it is. So that's there. Kitty says, uh, that's Blackbird. Kitty's dragon. <laughs> a custom-designed Lockheed SR-71. It's my dragon. That's what I'm trying to say <laughs> that I don't have yet, but I'll have soon. So they uh, they go up into the hangar area. Yeah, apparently in the hangar there are showers and a dressing room. So they they shower. Uh, Liana's blow drying her hair. They put on green and yellow uh, AIM outfits. <laughs> yes, now they're members of AIM. <laughs> they uh, hook up the to a terminal. The terminal gives them a readout of the mansion. They take a look at it from the side. They take a look at it from the top. They have a uh, infrared that goes apparently all the way out towards uh, Stevie Hunter's house. Well, no, close. The estate runs for three miles along the lake, and it's a mile deep. The boundary marked by the woods on either side and Gray Malkin Lane at the top. And seven miles down the road is the nearest town, Salem Center, where our dance teacher, Stevie Hunter, lives. Okay, so they don't have eyes on Stevie Hunter, but we're getting all the details about where everybody is geographically. And that's where they catch the train to New York, and then they... They, they zoom out even further, and now they can see the town of Salem Center, which is about 40 miles away from the Big Apple. And then they get the intruder alert uh, sign on the, the hologram. That's when they spring into action, and they Kitty phases through the floor, and Ileana's like, I can't phase! You have to wait for me! <laughs> I have to open doors and use the stairs! Come on! So they hop into the shuttle, they zoom down... And they talk about, like, yeah, I've been in this thing before. Last Christmas I got attacked by a demon, but it was an alien, and I wrecked a good chunk of the mansion, and I killed it. So, you know, that sucked. And Eliana says, I know what you mean. My my demon was pretty hard to kill, too. And Kitty just says, ooh? Eliana's so normal, I kept forgetting she spent half her life in the mystic limbo, prisoner of the demon, Lord Belasco. She hardly ever speaks of that time, and we've never pressed her. Which is weird. <laughs> hello like why wouldn't that be the first thing you do be like all right tell me everything i know it's painful but we should really probably document this 
Or just sit there while I mind scan you. What? Okay, gotcha. Well, that was addressed in an earlier issue of the X-Men where the professor's like, her mind is a closed book to me. I can't crack her. Oh, oh, oh. Sorry, sorry. That's okay. Uh, what happened to her? Did she kill Belasco? Is that how she got free? I wonder if we'll ever learn the truth. I wonder if we ever really want to. There's something in the living room. Let's go in there and get them. And as soon as they open the living room doors, Ileana pushes Kitty into the living room and Kitty goes, hey, and suddenly it's a surprise. And you've got Raza and Chode and Cannonball and Nightcrawler and Wolfsbane and Cyclops and Wolverine and Banshee and Carol Danvers. Uh, uh, Lilandra's there. Sunspot's there. Wolfsbane's there. Psyche's there. The whole crew is there. Sikorsky. Sikorsky is not there. No, he's there. He's up. Oh, you're right. He is there. Yeah, everybody's there. He's flying around. And, and Chode is huge. He's he's the size of all of these mutants put together. I'm going to swallow you all. <laughs> I am hungry for little girl. <laughs> So they say blow out the candles, so she does, and she remarks the chocolate cake is her favorite. Stevie Hunter's there, and oh, I'm so surprised whose idea was it. The surprise part, though, was Logan's suggestion. It was Logan and my suggestion. It was Ileana's idea because she knew what it was like to miss a birthday. Yes. But the surprise was, as you said, Nightcrawler and Logan. Yes. Gonna give us a kiss then, darling. You. You're smoking a cigar. <laughs> but sure am, Wolverine, after I finish a warm-up session with my big guy, or my best guy. Kitty. Now. No tongue. <laughs> I see there's a there's a flaw in this plan here. Wouldn't you want to warm up on everybody else so that you are properly tuned for your best guy? Mm. Mm. So you're warming up on the best guy so that you can give away your best stuff to your not best guy. It's, I'm assuming that. Well, nah, it, yeah, it's not a good turn of phrase. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But maybe she's warming up. She has a warm-up session with her best guy so that later with her best guy, she'll be revved up. I don't know. <laughs> On the other hand, if you think about it this way, do you really want to be the guy that's third in line with all the kissing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. like uh, it's, uh, I think that's the idea is that, you know, she wants to start with the, the main guy. Yeah. 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 They... They worded it poorly. Like, I want to kiss you, but there's like two other guys on your lips, and that kind of grosses me out. <laughs> like, why don't you go like, I don't know, floss, <laughs> floss, and, and rinse your mouth do some out? Mouthwash. Like, Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, you taste like Wolverine. Yuck. Tastes like cigar. <laughs> Anyways, later on, uh, well, this is uh, this is Kitty's 14th birthday, by the way, as according to the banner. Right. Uh, that silly tour was a trick to get me out while you worked uh, or while this was set up. Work too. You mad at me? I should be, but I'm happy. Thank you for the best day of my life. The end. Yay! <laughs> so there you go. A very long, basically X-Men uh, mansion schematic story wrapped around the thin guise of Kitty Pride's 14th birthday. Which is nice, because like, we, we talked about it in New Mutants, and we talked about it in the X-Men, so it was nice that there's actually words written down on paper where they actually I, had I, a party for it. I want to say that this was probably the biggest event in the Marvel Universe in 1982. For sure. Kitty's 14th birthday, right up there with uh, the death of Gwen Stacy. 
And Secret Wars. And Secret Wars. Yep, absolutely. Is Secret Wars 1982? I feel like it's later. Is the death of Gwen Stacy in 1982? No, that's that's earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you have to have different series for different years. And 1982 just happened to be a thin year where they just celebrated Kitty's birthday. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And, and the return of Dracula. <laughs> Hooray. Uh, all right. Well, anything else you want to add to this one, Adam? No, sir. Put her to bed. Well, I'm going to put this thing to bed in a very special way this week. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. We got a fan musical selection. This is a uh, exit or an outro tune crafted by Slink Meal. He had fun making it, and I had fun listening to it, and I hope you do, too. So here you go, everybody. And and that's when Corsair whips out his dick. Adam, I wanted you to skip all of that and just sing the damn song. Why, Jeremy, it's Dot Jammers. was uh, quite the build-up for such a letdown. <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to go well. If you don't care, I don't care. Right, I'm not going to put the effort in if you're not going to put the effort in. Anything else? No. All right, then. Well, until next time, the danger room is closed. Closed. <laughs>